Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stat 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Wow! General? Would you care to step outside? Superman! A second Super Saiyan? Second in order, perhaps, but by no means in stature. Your fight is with me now. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Oh, please. Please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. That's so sour. <laughs> you hear us crying because we are drinking and talking film. Oh, you're probably wondering... What you're listening to, and that is Inside the Sequel with your host, Chris. You know what this is. This is the show where we talk about the sequels that don't get enough love, should get enough love, and we recommend you buy, whether it's with a drink or not. Uh, last episode, if you remember, we had Nathan Jones from YouTube. Sorry, everyone. I don't know who that was. I don't know why they even were in my house, but uh, my name is Nathan Jones. If you're new here, I like to talk about all things movies, and specifically Blu-rays. He and I were talking about Shrek 2, one of the best sequels of the last 20 years, but today we're talking about a different year, specifically 2049. And with me to tackle this is one of the most expensive guests I've ever had on here. And what I mean by that is, he's like one of those mentors on Instagram where you have to direct message him for his services. I had to do this with this guy, so hopefully the money was well spent. I'm here with my best bud, Seth. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Instagram handle money for the baby. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. right. That's right. <laughs> well, Seth, you were last on a podcast with Daniel at Cobwebs. Yeah, I'm Daniel. Uh, I've been on the channel a few times, so you might have seen me. Um, I'm the host of the Cobwebs podcast, where we talk about gothic movies, but we also just talk about old movies in general. And which was a great episode. You were on two of them. Uh, no, you were maybe on three of them. You're actually kind of popular. Goddamn. I. Uh... I like anime and Disney Channel original movies. That's why. And you watched some Del Toro films. And Del too. Toro, that was that was a good Devil's Backbone. Yes, that was, that was such good. a good episode. It was Daniel mm. and him talking about the Devil's Backbone, um, and then Daniel and him teamed up again to talk about uh, uh, the mo the monsters. The the video put some respect on these Disney Channel original <clears> movies. I forgot. We talked about Mom's got a date with a vampire. <laughs> okay, it's a classic, classic. Starring the absolutely one of the ants from uh, Sabrina, the teenage witch, absolutely. lovely lady, absolutely, absolutely. And then uh, we talked about uh, Phantom of the Megaplex, Ooh. which is actually still like it holds up. Okay, it's cheesy, but it holds up. Okay, don't sleep on that. But I will champion Halloween Town. Yeah, is the best Disney Channel original movie. But what's okay? what's the best movie about being Irish though? Luck of the Irish, son. Okay, that's up there. That might be one of the best as well. Don't forget Brink, okay? <laughs> Brink. That's skate life. This boy knows everything about the Disney Channel original. He was on the ground floor right. for all those on Twitter who think they have that clout. You don't want this smoke from Seth. You remember Xenon? Did you ever watch Xenon? <laughs> I've only seen like covers of that. I've actually never seen it though. What is his name? Nova or Supernova? There's a pop star and he sings a song. I thought it was Nova. Yeah. Nova. Boom, boom, boom. Make my heart go zoom, zoom. Uh, <laughs> dude, I was too busy playing Final Fantasy X-2 with Yuna singing, What can I do for you? Oh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, but then you were in another episode where you talked about vampire anime. Um Vampire Hunter D. Mm -hmm. Yes, big D for big sure. D. Yeah, but you know what? We're here today to talk about a very personal film for Seth. Mm -hmm. And this was an interesting one for me. Is Denny 
Villeneuve. 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 I feel criminal to pronounce that wrong. French Canadian. Um, but yeah, we're amazing talking, director. We're talking about his 2017 release, Blade Runner 2049. There is an order to things. That's what we do here. We keep order. is built on a wall that separates kind. Tell either side there's no wall. You bought a war. Now before we get into that, Seth, baby people haven't checked out those podcast episodes, which I recommend, but tell them about your background with film, because yours is like really cool. Oh, um, I like movies, that's it. Yeah. Okay, no, <laughs> um... I graduated from a film program uh, in Missouri, and I make most of my income by filming weddings and events, and I do contracting work. Yes, um, sir. Anything revolving around a camera, uh, specifically in motion. I love video. Yes, sir. Um, editing. I mean, it's been what I base my career around. I love... I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for dystopian sci-fi. Let me just put it that way. Yes. So I want to dive into Blade Runner, but... Uh, yeah, uh, certificate in screenwriting also. <laughs> I mean, um, This sure. guy actually did uh, a short film in college where he tried to make it a practical effect. Oh, we don't talk movie. about that. <laughs> I think it's kind of impressive. He showed me some footage, and it looks pretty sweet. If only it could have got finished. Where's the Where's the production companies putting money into this? It's a little unfinished. You know, if you guys want to fund me, uh, we can start an Indiegogo. Okay? That's right. That's right. <laughs> you put that in the account with my OnlyFans page as well. Yeah. It's, it's basically me shirtless with my cat, and we talk about Blu-ray reviews. Premium, yeah. Yes. It's premium. Yes. Uh, but Seth, what is your opinion on sequels? I don't think I've ever asked you this, but what is your thought on sequels? It depends, because there's different kind of sequels. I think there's comedy sequels, there's franchise sequels, there's reboot sequels, like mm. the new Bill and Ted. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't hate them like some people do. I think there's nothing wrong with them. I think most of the time they're not as good as the original. But sometimes you just want to be in the same universe with the same characters for a second or third time. Um, I, I don't have no beef with them. I think most of the time comedy sequels can falter a little bit but when it comes to things like what we're going to talk about today i think the sequel carries on the world successfully so i love sequels for the fact that it carries on something i love yes that's what we need more kind of like thoughts when we go into sequels i feel like giving them chances instead of writing them off as oh well john carpenter didn't do this sequel so it can't be as good as the original you know sure, what i mean sure. when we talk about like halloween movies the thing remakes you know things like that like i i feel like you got to give people chances. You know what I mean? And horror sequels are also different because, mm -hmm. I mean, how many Halloween movies do we have? How many Scream movies do we have? Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. I think horror franchises are just, I mean, there's diamonds in the rough you don't even know about. Yeah. I think, um, I, I love, like, that's, that's almost franchise films too, franchise horror. And yeah. I, I, I also enjoy that because there's so much fun to be had and so many different visions for these characters. Mm -hmm. and one thing you did mention I really like and I can't wait to talk about in this podcast, not today, but in later episodes, installments, are remakes. Mm -hmm. um, remakes I consider sequels because they're coming from uh, an original source, which is the original movie, and making changes to it and updating it. And okay. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I know you talked about it and you recommend it all the time. It's like the new Evil Dead. I released something from that book. Something evil. This 
thing is attached to Mia's soul. We're gonna have to kill her. You are all going to die tonight. Remake. So good. Okay, Fetty Alvarez. He is an emerging horror director. Um, he also did Don't Breathe, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, Jane Levy movie, and it's it's so good. The gore is amped to a million. Uh, Sam Raimi's stamp of approval. I love Jane Levy in it. She is a rock star. I mean, I, I can the practical effects. I just I cannot tell you to watch it like enough. It is so good. So much fun. Right, so if, like, this is somebody who's seen a remake, and he loves the Evil Dead franchise collectively as a Favorite whole. Favorite horror franchise, probably. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. he loves it, and, like, he even gives its props to the remake, you know? I don't know what the critical reception or any of that is for that, but I don't hear too many people talk about the Evil Dead remake it's when true. they talk about Evil it's Dead. It's pretty positive, too. Yeah. Usually yeah. it's, like, Army of Darkness, and that's it, you know? Right, right. And the show. Yeah, and, and the, the show. show, yeah. Really good. So, okay, but what is your opinion on Blade Runner? How did you get into that? Because that's what we're talking about today. Blade Runner. Because it is your favorite film. Yes. Of all time. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny. His favorite movie is Blade Runner, which was an 82 film. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my favorite movie is Alien from 79, both Ridley Scott sci-fi films. When uh, I, I mean, Ridley, say mm -hmm. what you want about him. He's done great stuff. He's done mediocre stuff. Yep. But at the end of the day, this boy is a legend. Yep. He's a legend. Um, Blade Runner, I originally saw when I was in high school at the time and the first time I watched it I think like a lot of people I didn't love it I thought it was really cool looking I don't consider myself someone that like loved films while I was in high school as much as I do now but I watched it again a little bit later and it captured my attention and I wanted to watch it again and I wanted to watch it again and I just told myself like I just I love this movie now I, I, I want to dissect it I love the atmosphere. I love the characters. I love the performances. I mean, really, Scott. I mean, everything together. I mean, I could be a douchebag and say it has amazing mise en scene, which it does. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a it's a masterwork in that, and just the practical effects were ahead of their time, beyond ahead of their time. It still looks amazing today. Um, Roy is one of the most sympathetic villains, I think, in cinema. Personally, love it. Yeah, love it. yeah. dude, you love Blade Runner. I guess you could say your cells are interlinked. Cells interlinked. That's, That's right. right. Every time we say something interlinked, we have to take a drink, and we're already drinking to begin with. I've already had a little bit. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you long for having your heart interlinked? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you dream about being interlinked? Interlinked. What's it like to hold your child in your arms? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Why don't you say that three times? Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. We're done. He's drinking a whiskey sour that's a li little too sour. Oh, man. Meanwhile, I'm drinking a tall boy Natty Light Seltzer Catalina right. Lime. I'm drinking, uh, pardon my horrible um, Italian accent, <laughs> Bussia di Limone. <laughs> with a liqueur. Lim limoncello liqueur with uh, some whiskey. A little bit of sugar in there. It is yes, very sir. sour. Very yes, sour. sir. It's really good. I knew <laughs> I wanted to do Blade Runner 2049. Um, at some point, because it's such a decisive one for me, but at the same time, um, we did Alien Covenant as uh, the second episode, and I rewatched Prometheus and Alien Covenant, both really Scott films. And I remember texting Seth during both time of those movies. I'm like, 
what the hell was wrong with me with watching these movies the first time? And then also, why is Ridley Scott such a fucking genius? I'm not even saying like if the movies are good or bad, but I'm saying like just him as a director and the the works he's tackled throughout his career, he's such a genius. He is devoted to his works. He pays attention to detail. No matter what, they always look beautiful. Mm-hmm. They always look gorgeous. And he is dedicated to the lore. You listen to his commentaries, and he, you know he truly loves what he makes. He's a perfectionist. Sometimes to a fault, but yeah. he is. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. sometimes I'm like, Ridley, I wish you like dropped off the, the Alien franchise and gave it to like <clears throat> Neil Blomkamp, but, um, <laughs> which we'll unfortunately never get. Or, or, you know, like, just, like, leave the pavement for someone else to tackle. But, I mean, on like he did with Blade Runner, he gave it to Denny. He yep. gave it his, um, you know, his si- signal of approval. Um, and, it, and, you know, at first I wasn't crazy. We'll get into that. But it's a really great masterwork. And I don't know if really Scott could have maybe done as good as Denny did do. I mean, I think Denny is a different voice. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Ridley is a little bit more pessimistic as a person. So I don't think he wanted to do a sequel. I think he I, he told his story. He was very satisfied with it. He didn't want to ruin his reputation or even risk it. And I think he knew Denny was just a genius mm-hmm. in sci-fi. And when um, we watched this movie, did we Arrival came before Blade Runner? Correct? Was it twenty seventeen? Was Blade Runner? Yeah. And yes. Arrival, I thought was twenty sixteen, or was it twenty eighteen? No, it's before. Because I kept thinking they looked similar in style. And they're both obviously Denny films. Mm -hmm. Different Um, cinematographers, though. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, Here's my next thing. So we're talking about Ridley Scott. We're talking about your history with Blade Runner. You love it Mm because, again, Ridley Scott and you interlinked. Drink again. but um, Just did. mm -hmm. But here's the thing. What about Denny? Two different directors. But, man, when you look at the beginnings of their careers, they're both similar. And, like, they're making movies earlier in their career. That are standing, I think, standing out mm-hmm. to the competitors. So you get really Scott in 79, Blade Runner in 82. He goes on and uh he, you know, he goes on and just like Gladiator, you know, he, he tackles all these other types of movies. I mean, he's still doing well. I mean, the Martian right big I mean, hit. Yeah. Big hit. And then you think Denny, you know, with prisoner well, he uh, he's made Incendies and mm-hmm. Pilotechnics, which I haven't seen. But Enemy, I know also really it, underrated, severely underrated. Right, he's just making these things after the next, and I'm kind of like seeing similarities, especially when it comes to the sci-fi genre that what Ridley Scott brought to sci-fi right. at the time. I think Denny is more focused with his genre or with with what he approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, his early films like Polytechnique wouldn't be necessarily like a genre film like that, but I think Ridley kind of dabbles in different genres successfully. I mean, Gladiator, I love Gladiator. Exodus, um, Gods and Kings. Not so much, right? <laughs> not, I saw that in theaters. Not so much. Yep. Uh, it's a great looking movie. It really is really great looking movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but Denny definitely has more of a focus. But when it comes to the the sci fi genre, they 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 are very similar mm-hmm. in ways. Right. And you know, honestly, I was late to the party with Denny. I know you and I and our friends. We always like we pretend to gatekeep. We don't really gatekeep unless it's something personal. We know <laughs> not to cross that boundary. But sure. but when it comes to like. Pretend gatekeeping, it's always when we talk about Denny, it becomes a fun conversation, especially with you three older boys, Daniel, Nathan from YouTube, and you, Seth. <clears throat> but when it comes to me, I'm the young boy. I don't, I wasn't there when Denny started. And I, I, I literally just binged through four of his works right. <laughs> in like a weekend because I finally wanted to be a part of it. And I was just blown away and I was embarrassed. It took me so long. So I'm really crazy about him. Um, but now in 2049's uh, Blade Runner, when I went to go see it the first time, 
I was in college still. I went opening night with Daniel, and I was super excited because Blade Runner again was one of my favorite movies. Um, I didn't. I was late to the party on that as well. I didn't see it till my freshman year of college, um, <clears throat> and I absolutely enjoyed it. I mean, I'm a big Ridley Scott apologist. I love most of his stuff, even if it's not good. Um, but the thing is. Blade Runner 2049, I had the most unrealistic expectations for because I just wanted it. I wanted mm-hmm. it to be amazing. I wanted it to be like what Blade Runner was at the time. I remember even thinking in the theater, I'm like, I'm about to see my year, my generation's Blade Runner. And I didn't feel that at first. And you were different. And I want to talk about right. that. What I, were I, was you? Gonna, I was going to throw in, maybe Dune is going to be this generation's Blade Runner. Well, we didn't know Dune was coming out. <laughs> right. I mean, I am a Dune fan, so yes. I am unbelievably excited for that movie. Let me just say, it, it's my number one most anticipated movie. Yes, sir. Well, period. Yes, sir. Period. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, Blade Runner, what was the question? <laughs> what where, where, where were you when Blade Runner 2049 came out <laughs> Cells Interlinked? Interlinked. Interlinked. So take a drink, okay. Sales <laughs> interlink. I'm gonna fail this baseline after a few more drinks. It's been way off. Mm. Okay, um, I saw it in IMAX opening night. Wow. I bought the tickets far in advance. <laughs> I went. I, I went by myself. <laughs> which I will say, there's nothing wrong with going to IMAX to see a fa- uh, a film you're a fan of, of or a franchise, uh, by yourself. Okay. Uh, which is ironic because when I walked out, there's like seven guys I knew from college there. <laughs> I was like, hey guys, um, did you like the movie? Like, yeah. I'm like, cool. <laughs> I went to the bathroom and, and dipped. But um, I, yeah, I, I was got a perfect seat by myself at the IMAX, and I was just blown away. After the credits rolled, I think I sat in my chair for like five minutes decompressing what happened. I mean, I, I don't know if we spoil... The movies on this podcast, we don't. We, right? we can we just don't. talk about okay. it. If you if you haven't, you got to see the. When we talk about them, you got to see these movies, and these are the right. things that we want to reel you with. You now, if it's a major spoiler, let's say it's like we're talking about Knives Out. I'm not going to spoil Knives Out, right? But I mean, right. it's Blade Runner 2049. You know, you can watch the movie and still enjoy it. Sure. I mean, I won't spoil it. I'm just the ending. You know, there's there's a powerful ending. Um, it, it comes full circle as with a callback from the original Blade Runner. Right. We'll put a timestamp on that. Sure. Uh, but let's not. We won't talk about the spoiler yet. But let's just talk about more like your decompressing of thoughts there. Um. And once I, I mean, upon first watch, once I, you know, mm-hmm. kind of decompressed what I saw. I mean, I felt blown away. Like next day, I went to work texting the boys like, "Yo, this is top ten <laughs> movie for me right now. Like number one of the year." I'm sorry, but that's my decision. Um, and may, I may have been biased going into it, but I also feel that bias could have also turned south if I was disappointed with the movie because I wanted it to be very, very, very good. But it just hit all the check marks for me as far as what kind of movie I like. And I love dystopian sci-fi. It's one of my favorite genres. I always say that. Um, I love it kind of dirty, kind of sad, <laughs> with this, this, this roaring synthetic score and neon-soaked visuals like just just everything um so i enjoyed it i really really did see when seth when seth went to see it i was with daniel um we were at a b&b we didn't get to see it on the big screen but we had really great seats for it um i really was hoping it would continue off decker and everything but it didn't do that at all um at first for me at, at an initial watch it was really long too. It's at a clock in at two hours and forty seven. Excuse me, two hours and forty. Cells interlinked. Cells interlinked. There it is. Cells interlinked. 
it's at two uh, hours and forty nine minutes. Ironic, twenty forty nine. But it's at two hours and forty nine minutes. I believe. I've never noticed that really. Yeah, oh, it, wow. it's a, okay. it's longer. <laughs> I've seen this movie like six, five times, six times. <laughs> he has it on Blu-ray uh, on four K. Four K, thank you. Four K. I own the original four times. Yeah, how many? Yeah, he's he's owned. He has two copies of Blade Runner right now. <laughs> uh, well, I have a four K. I have a collector's anniversary edition with all the cuts. Obviously, I recommend the final cut. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the Blu-ray of it. And for some reason, I have the Blu-ray again, but I gave it to my brother. So, <laughs> Oh, no. Then there's the Blu-ray copy in the 4K. So oh. I think that's five. So. And he has a poster and a t-shirt of it. I do. I do. <laughs> When's he going to retire one of them? Oh, oh that's a term. <laughs> <laughs> but when I saw it, I was just, I was like, it's a pretty movie. It looks amazing. I like that. I was just like, there were so many things going on that I could not like process all of them during the runtime. And if and when it, so we talked about when we watched it recently again, we were talking and watching because we'd seen it. I, that was like your fifth time. That was like my third time watching it. And I started, you said one thing that was like so true. Denny really takes his time with this movie mm-hmm. in terms of yeah. camera work, story structure. He's very much taking his time. He's not being lazy. He's not just dragging and making filler. It really is methodical and sucking you in. And I felt that this time around. First watch, I did not like that. But I also didn't know what I was getting yet. I did know for sure, though, I love the opening with Batista because Batista's the fucking man. You've never seen a miracle. That (laughs) opening is great. I Seriously, I feel like once you see that opening, you're like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. I mean, that sets the tone. You have the atmosphere... You have the the gravity of the situation that that Kay is in, which is the the protagonist mm-hmm. played by Ryan Gosling. Um, w- w- I will say that the the music kind of soars in the beginning, but when that scene really goes deep, the score kind of cuts out. Oh, it's pitch black. It's pitch, but it, it feels so heavy, and this film is heavy. It's very heavy. Um, but that opening, I mean, you like the Batista as an actor. Yep. You really like him. That's why they play to that strength of. I like this guy, and I don't know if this protagonist is that likable right now. Exactly, because he's you just know? sitting there, yeah. and he's like, "I didn't want to be rude, but I didn't want to drag in the mud and stuff like that." And it's a small little shack, and the Batista, mud I don't mind. Yeah, <laughs> it just unannounced it, visitors. <laughs> it's so good. It's such a great opening. So great. But if you're not familiar with Blade Runner, this world is basically it's a dystopian future. Um, where the Earth, it's, it's kind of like Cowboy Bebop. Earth is like an undesirable place to live. It's it, the old California. Cal- well. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the slums. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not very much like the kind of place you want to live, but people go there to like, because they're either in poverty or they want to escape their past. It's debaucherous as well. Right, and then there's these people who work for the police called Blade Runners, and what they do is they go out and kill, which they call retiring, um, humanoid androids called replicants so in this movie blade runner 2049 ryan gosling is a blade runner and denny i I was really smart for denny to put that prologue in the beginning explaining the blade runner as a Mm -hmm. callback to the original Mm -hmm. um because decker played by harrison ford was a blade runner as well a different type of blade runner very reluctant blade runner yeah he feels like harrison ford in a noir like you said the first blade runner feels like a neo-noir gritty mm-hmm. film this one feels more dystopian sci-fi than it feels noir. more like a sci-fi epic mm-hmm. and, and, and it's more of a mystery i don't think the first one is really layered with mystery no it's layered more with emotional beats about humanity what makes us human it focuses much more on the villains i would say than this one does but it's definitely a, a true sequel but it, it plays strengths differently 
And the central mystery of the film, which I can't, I won't, I won't spoil. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's very well done. So on repeat watching, even though I know the answer to the mystery, every time I see something involving like the red herrings mm -hmm. or the clues that Agent K follows or Officer K, um, it never feels like boring or been there, done that. I'm like, okay, yes, I understand this portion of it. And some things you don't really notice or understand until multiple viewings, just like the first film. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of red herrings in here. Mm -hmm. uh, there's In the first movie, there's not as much. You know, in the first movie, Roy is the bad guy played by Richter Hauer. He, and he's out there to make a message, and Deckard has to be the one to catch him. And he doesn't want to. He really, he's done. He's done with killing. Yeah. He's done with retiring. He wants to go in his hobbit hole and drink himself into a coma and just say, fuck it. That's right. These the, like Blade Runner feels like a pitch black 40s noir film. No it's, one's happy. In it. No, no one one's is. Happy. If Decker was in his office, he'd have a case of whiskey ready yep. to drink it. But you got to think about it. Okay, so I think the biggest problem with Blade Runner, especially Blade Runner 2049, which I didn't notice until this latest rewatch, is the, you have to... Put yourself in this world. You have to get in the mindset of these films' as world. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can really connect in an emotional state with it, which I think is what the, the central point is. You have to really immerse yourself into these characters and what they feel like, especially in the sequel. And I feel like when you think of a Blade Runner, you think, oh, it's just a guy killing fake humans. But these things are state-of-the-art bleed like humans, act like humans, look like humans, yep. that they're basically human. They feel like humans. They're Yeah, they question their own humanity, though they don't have any. And I feel like Blade Runner, the first one, tackles it in a way where they're bad and like what, how it could go wrong. But then like maybe if you understand them, you wouldn't want to retire them. And then in Blade Runner 2049... We already know the, the what happens to the genocide of replicants because if straight out tells you these new Blade Runners, Ryan Gosling are out to kill these old remnant replicants mm -hmm. in replacement of new replicants that aren't supposed to be like human, which is a callback to most Ridley Scott stuff when you think about like Ash and Alien seventy nine being an android robot. He's evil, but then he does Alien Covenant and Prometheus with androids, and they feel more humanoid. They question their humanity. David being the biggest one. Um, so he's always tackling, I feel like, what makes us human as a theme for his movies. And I feel like that's so interesting. But in Blade Runner 2049, these new androids, you're wondering, is is K an android? Or is he a replicant or not? Because when he kills Batista's character, Batista goes, how does it feel to kill your own kind? And immediately, Ryan Gosling goes, I wouldn't know because my kind doesn't run away. Yep, my kind doesn't run. What she's meaning is... These older replicants are a menace because they're trying to basically assimilate to humanity where you can't tell the difference, mm -hmm. which is already a question you should be thinking about. And then him saying, we are more updated and less likely to be renegades like you are. Yep. But Kay's character, played Ryan Gosling, he doesn't have any emotions at all throughout the whole movie uh -huh. until some few moment scenes when things start to change. I love that. I didn't notice that mm -hmm. the first time. I thought it was annoying. I was like, why isn't Ryan Gosling doing anything? It's 2017. He did La La Land. Why is he looking cool and happy? Instead, he's just like blank-faced. He hasn't He hasn't failed that baseline That's yet. right. Interlinked. He's <laughs> like... Tells interlinked. Honestly, that, that new interlinked <laughs> a scene where basically it's sick. The humans test their, um, their replicants to make sure they're not be feeling like humans. Yep. And if they feel... 
If they fail their test, being asked questions like, you see, you're holding your firstborn child, how do you feel? Interlinked. If they yep. don't answer interlinked like that. You're holding that, the hands of your loved one as they die. Or, is, exactly. You know, if you feel any sort of human emotion, they can read that, they will retire you. Yep. So it's like, it's so sad, the oppression of these replicants. I mean, that's kind of a basic um, morality uh, dissection from the Blade Runner universe is that humans are almost the bad guys they're the ones that are killing without emotion they are the ones without emotion whereas the replicants are the ones that want to live because they feel emotion as they say in blade runner 2049 we are more human than human mm-hmm. um i mean that's kind of what the, what the the whole world is is about i mean that's blade runner is what makes us human do these things deserve to have freedom do they deserve to have life if they don't have a soul if they were never born from a mother and a father or had any intent with their existences mm-hmm. like do they matter uh k doesn't believe he matters he has no emotion he has one purpose that's to kill that's to retire these replicants that he believes are renegades that assisted in a war a very dangerous war that caused a lot of deaths um it's it's i i love that morality of these films um yeah and that's the thing it's just there's so many layers to it. There's a lot of background information because these movies are based on books. Um, my biggest thing, though, is like how s- gross this new future is because it's 2049, and it's like, it's like it looks like Ghost in the Shell. It looks like Cowboy Bebop. It's just like tall buildings with slums in between all these tall buildings. Really crappy weather, and it's like people are eating artificial food. Like let's talk about Agent like Agent K. Like, uh, not from Men in Black. <laughs> right. Well, I just call him K. <laughs> yeah. His name's Officer K, I think, Could technically. call him Joe. I wish his name... Oh, I wish his name was just the protagonist. Oh, is that a callback to Tannen? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. People criticize that on Twitter. I, I like that. I mean, there's a reason he's called the protagonist. Right. But I'm not going to spoil it here either. No, yeah. But... <laughs> talking about dystopian sci-fis, I guess. Yeah. Um, But, no. The world is, like, sad to live in. K lives in a small little cubicle of, like, a house... And he has a companion played by Ana de Armas, mm, Joy, who, Joy, mm-hmm. who is a an AI, artificial intelligence. And he doesn't eat. He eats artificial hologrammed food. Mm-hmm. And that's his life. And he lives to like communicate with this AI, kind of like her um, from Spike Jones. And it's just kind of sad and it's hard to connect. I totally feel that. But this time around, when you dwell into this character, if you think of him as a human... You will feel for him because it's such a lonely life with so many people out mm-hmm. in the world then, and he's all alone. Dance. Do you want to dance or do you want to open your present? What present? This one. What's the occasion? Let's just say it's our anniversary. Is it? No, but let's just say that it is. Well, if, if replicants don't have emotions, why does he need a companion to make him feel whole? Exactly. I mean, I think her character... I've heard a lot of criticisms for her character as she's just like a fantasy, a fulfillment for for the male protagonist, mm-hmm. which kind of is true. She's someone to fulfill him because he needs fulfillment, mm-hmm. because it feels like he's hollow, because everyone else hates him. There's There's a term in the film where they call him a skin job, which is a derogatory statement towards his kind. And you can tell when someone says that to him, it hurts him a little bit. And it shouldn't hurt him if he was just a robot, but it does hurt him. Um, so I think Joy is a really important character to stretch the, the um, idea of what makes 
something humid, like just because she's code without a physical body, is she also does she also matter? Because she matters to K, but K doesn't matter to humans. Mm-hmm. It's just stretching that idea from the first film. Right, and in his biggest excitement is getting that update for her so she can travel with him. So she can be with him on the go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And she she does seem to care about him only, even though she is a product of what could be considered the villains of the film, mm-hmm. the, the company, the Wallace Corporation. Um, all the decisions she makes in the film involve her wanting Kay to be okay. Yeah. And she clearly loves him, but is that design just a design, or is there actual love there? That's for you to decide. But it's definitely designed to fulfill whoever the owner is. Exactly. And I think that's really intelligent. I don't think most films tackle AI relationships, symbiotic relationships like that as much. Um, it's definitely a sci-fi trope. Right. But Blade Runner is definitely one of those films that really, that's Question. like, that's what it really wants to dive into. Mm-hmm. And that's just a part of this movie. Because then later on you're introduced to the villains of the movie which is the wallace corporation which was a remnant uh it feels like i feel like i'm saying star the new star wars movies the first order <laughs> right but it's like they're called Wa- the wallace corporation which is remnants of tyrell mm-hmm. not tricell from resident evil for my resident evil fans <laughs> <laughs> you said that when we were watching you're like dude is that tricell <laughs> dude i okay so i hang out with seth and his girlfriend sophie and they always play resident evil all the time so when resident evil 5 is up i think tricell all right it's the best uh video game horror franchise yes. changed my mind dude oh wa- yeah resident Evil, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely fucking out there for sure. Yep. Hands are finished, Wesker. There's no way out this time. Don't you two ever tire of failing in your mission? You've really become quite an inconvenience for me. Um, I think Final Fantasy might just have it beat, but that's on quantity. Maybe well, not, not a horror quality. franchise. Oh, but dude, horror franchises, Nathan would say. If, go, if I'm going franchise, if there's a Last of Us 3, I'm going with that. Ah, dude. Controversial. Oh, dude, yeah, inside the sequel, if Last of Us 2 was a movie, it would fucking be first episode on Okay, there. Last of Us 2 is a masterpiece. It is Come so good. Me. For my pe- people listening, if you don't like Last of Us 2, you need to just... That is a masterwork in empathy. Just buy it and play it. That's right. Um, <laughs> but we're, so, so Wallace Company is controlled by the CEO, played by Jerry. Leto, and he is obsessed with creating life, much like the villains, I guess, of the first season. The first they're mentioned, they're not really villains. I think the only villainy is they create replicants from the first film. Yeah, I mean, Tyrell isn't a villain, that's what I really like about him. In the first movie, he is just the creator of the replicants. He, he doesn't have a god complex like um, Wallace. He believes these they are his children because when Roy confronts him in the first film, he mm-hmm. sees one of his children. Mm-hmm. He does care for him, but he also knows that he has to die because if he doesn't die, then his children could become abominations. Um, I do like I, I like Wallace's character because he's almost an inverse mm-hmm. of Tyrell. Mm-hmm. He is a monster with a god complex who wants to create a new race that can be his. It's almost it's like a Hitler, you know, like stance almost. He wants to be this master of this race yeah. that can reproduce. Every civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Shh. Happy birthday. It's it, it and you know, I don't think it's by mistake that Denny de- de- decided to cast Jared Leto to be this cool, calm, collected creator. Almost like a Steve Jobs-esque with his cool, calm, collected. It's always wearing the same thing throughout every scene. He talks very calm and 
sadistic almost. <laughs> he's wearing a robe or right. a, or a suit every single time, and he has these really clear lensed eyes. And he's like he said, again, he's obsessed with quoting almost biblical or philosophical terms to justify his creation. Talk about the fallen angel, talking about creating life, creating mm-hmm. children, and and he's just obsessed with it. And he has long hair. And he has a beard. I mean, he's very unkept until he is, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just, I, I kept thinking throughout the movie, it's not by a coincidence he's a depiction of some sort of Christian Western civilization deity. Sure. And I think because also he has the, in the palm of his hands, the ability to create artificial life, not only with um, Ana de Armas's AI life, but also the new replicant Agent K lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants to improve that even more, which they show in a very unnerving scene Uh of what his new creation is but it's not to his liking so he instantly kills it and with that one scene you can see terror in his creation's eyes Mm -hmm. you see how scared she is she is just bewildered at what is happening because she just started her existence she has no idea what is happening Mm -hmm. she was just born it's almost like like a fetus she she is just emerging from it covered in this liquid this waste she just wants to, and she's cold. She wants to be held. Jared Leto like comforts her or Wallace comforts her, lets her think everything's okay. It's going to be fine, but he's not satisfied with her and it ends very badly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very unnerving scene, but I love, like you said, you liked Wallace. I do. The first time I wasn't really crazy about the Wallace Corporation. I just felt like, oh, how did people even let the Wallace Corporation exist after Tyrell? Of course, like if you look at Wallace and his, the way he, he just, Acts. I'm like, how would they let this person control basically the world economy? And I mean, if we want to throw a Disney reference in, I mean, Wally, humans <laughs> wants wants things to make life easier for them. True. And it's all about money. So if a replicant can truly be made that will obey orders, that has incredible strength and is very cheap, then they're gonna fund it again. I mean, mm. no no questions asked. Good point. So that's why he's a very very wealthy man. Right, and uh, Wallace is human. I would assume he is human. Yeah, yeah, and he's creating artificial life to replace his own race, which is kind of scary. If he you think he about wants it. to be like the new master race. Yeah, yeah, it's scary, and we're not talking about PC master race for those. Pre order that PS Five. It's <laughs> dude, I got my pre order in GameStop. I am very lucky. <laughs> yes, sir. Get that pre ordered. Uh, but I, I really list like the second time I watch, and then this now new third time. I I really like Wallace's villain archetype because it fits this world. Mm. I mean. People could say, like, he's not a good main villain because Kay and him never confront in violence. But I'm like... I know. wouldn't even say he is the main villain, no, to be honest. No, exactly. I he, think this is almost a discovery film for the protagonists, as well as Deckard, um, involving the central mystery of the plot, which I won't reveal. I mean, the, the main antagonist would be his replicant bodyguard. Exactly. And she is. She. And, I mean, she is intimidating. Let's in talk this about film. her, dude. But, like, I mean, she's nuts. I would say Wallace is a catalyst for the events because there is a lot of world building in this film. Oh yeah. And I know Denny did want to do a sequel. Sadly, the film did bomb in the box office, so we won't get that sequel. But there's an uprising of replicants, and there's a lot of stuff that happens mm-hmm. behind the scenes. But yeah, the central antagonist would be his his own replicant who believes. She is the best replicant. Yes. She even has a line that says, I am the, I am the best one. Mm-hmm. And, and she models to Wallace, which is scary. She, she wants to be him. She mimics certain actions he um, carries out throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Very intimidating villain. Almost like Roy without the empathy. She is Roy. She is incredibly Ooh. strong. That's incredibly smart. 
and very cunning, but she does not have the empathy that Roy would share with Deckard. That's such a good point. I never put those two together, but yeah, that is a really good point. Um, if you ever listen to Tears in the Rain, oh, um, Tears in Rain, mm. you'll know exactly why Roy is maybe considered one of the best on-screen villain characters of all time. I still always cry when I hear that uh, Vangel, Van, uh, Vangelis, Vangelis mm-hmm. score. And then I hear his monologue. It's I. I mean, I think there's a Snapchat of me I've crying. I've seen things you people would not believe. <laughs> yeah. I quote this quote all the time. It's I will, so I'll good. spare you the details, but um, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. But this girl does not have any of those memorable quotes, unfortunately. She, well, not not like that. I mean, Rutger Hauer actually did write that monologue with Ridley's approval. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say anything like that. She just has some good lines in the film, um, but I, nothing as iconic. I mean, right to call back yeah. to like Resident Evil, she feels like like Salazar's um, like bodyguards, you know, the big cheese. Yeah. Or? No, no, Sal, like a little Salazar, the little guy. Oh, I mean, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one of those right hand monsters. That's yep. like because she's always this like, isn't like one of your Hollywood movies. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like it's, she's always on like the background on his right hand side, you mm. know, doing things for him. And then she, the way she communicates with Kay throughout the movie, you can tell she looks down on him. She she thinks he is beneath her. She doesn't even like give him the benefit of killing him early on, which she mm-hmm. easily could have done. Um, and Kay becomes a force to be reckoned with because he finds a, a a cause for him to live for, which is really good. Right, and let's just um, talk about that now. Right. Because Harrison Ford's in this movie, and what we find out is that him and Rachel, we'll put a timestamp for any spoilers after this point now, but him and Rachel from the first film have a child, and it is a, uh, how would you call that, their, their child? What, what would you call that? I mean, many people in the film call it a miracle. A miracle, A miracle yes. birth. Because yeah. one of them is a replicant, I mean, we don't know who's the replicant. Deckard could be a replicant. He could not be. I think the sequel does a good job of saying maybe. Yeah. Um, I know Ridley has gone on off record saying, or on record, that he, he says believes, in commentaries. Yeah, that Deckard is a replicant. Um, Which is a big mystery in the first right, movie. Right. It is a big mystery. It is never solid. I mean, you could connect that the unicorn being in Deckard's dream mm-hmm. and then being left behind as an imprinted memory, obviously his partner knowing that this, this memory was inside his head. Automatically says he's a replicant. Totally cool. Which um, is a big theme of just the series in general. Right. Because the book is called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And when you take that quote and you place it into replicants getting implanted memories, it fits. Do mm-hmm. androids dream of electric sheep? They could if somebody had put those in there. Mm-hmm. And replicant, and, and the replicant, if Deckard was true, would have the unicorn memories if they were imprinted in his memory. Right. And you see that theme revisited in 2049 with Kay. Because Kay finds out that they're on the brink of a war, the humans and the replicants, because of this miracle baby that Deckard and Rachel had had. Wallace finds out about it and wants it Mm -hmm. because it's the key to the puzzle to creating his perfect replicant life. 
Meanwhile, we live behind a wall. That's right. There's a wall. It's like Attack on Titan. We live between a wall between we, the Titans. We live on a wall. Okay, this could break the world. That's right. We, there's so many movie references. Okay, Robin Wright. Dang it, she's so good. Have you ever noticed like how many times that Blade Runner has influenced other mediums of sorts? Like so many. Cowboy Bebop. Uh, just like is one of them. Attack on Titan, you could just say just right now. Mm-hmm. It's just like there's so many different... Alita Battle Angel. Alita. Like, I mean... Really Gauntlet. underrated, by the way. Really yeah, underrated. Yes. I want to see Edward Norton as mm-hmm. that villain, okay? <laughs> but it just... Blade Runner just infects... Not infects, but it influences so many different types of mediums, and I love it. Which but, there is a Blade Runner anim- anime coming out ooh. relatively soon um, by the... Director, well, the creative director is the man who directed Cowboy Bebop. Nice, um, And nice. then the director is the director of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, mm-hmm. which was already greatly inspired by Blade Runner. Wow. Very excited for the yep. anime. A little disappointed it's going to be 3D animation. Not but crazy. I'm, the, the talent behind it is just incredible. Uh, boy. And I'm what a big happen- fan of anime as well, so I'm excited. Boy. What happened to that hand-drawn anime? <sighs> they said, I mean, they, they're going to put a lot of work into it, but they said that... Uh, 3D will help them achieve their vision with the budget they have. Here so we'll at Inside see. the Sequel, we'll we love that old school, nine, late 90s hand-drawn anime. That yeah, we do. get better than that. It's, Actually, I mean, one sequel I'd love to do, Seth, is a, is a, revenge, a Cooler's Revenge. A Return of I would Cooler. be game for that. <laughs> that underrated DBZ movie. Anyway, so we talk about Blade Runner 2049, and we're getting into the spoilers now. But um, Agent K thinks, he, or Officer K thinks he is special because... He thinks he might be the golden child, the miracle baby, because the evidence he's discovering with the memories he's receiving, he thinks this might be him because evidence is pointing towards it. All evidence. I mean, he has a another character directly tell him that this memory is the truth. That's right. Exactly. But that one character might not be honest. And we'll, we'll stop it there in terms of spoilers because you need to watch it to realize it. You need to watch it multiple times. Ex- Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> but the big thing I want to talk about is the disparagement between Wallace's sidekick, um, bodyguard, and uh, Officer K. Um, they end up fighting and trying to save Deckard's life because Deckard mm-hmm. is being transported to be killed. K wants to save him because K knows that Deckard's life matters more than even his own existence. And... <laughs> Um, it, you can't help but feel like this is two sides of like the argument here. You have the, the type of replicants that are feeling more human than human, like K, versus the god complex replicants who realize they're more superior and exploiting that yes. superiority. Mm-hmm. Because K has mm-hmm. realized that the older replicants that he had previously been retiring are planning to revolt, to feel not even overtake human life, but to just be assimilated to human life. They want to be equal. I mean, if it if it involves a war, a massacre, they're willing to do it, which I think K doesn't really want to be a part of. I think he just wants to matter. Um, necessarily, he doesn't want to kill anymore. He never wanted to kill, but he wants to matter. So this war, uh, once again, I won't get into big spoilers, but he wants to be a part of it, but he also doesn't want to be a part of it. I think when you get any sort of in this movie, it's all about repression. Or, or, or oppression, the AI right. oppression, the, the, the replicant oppression, the poor people oppression. They're all wanting to just be on level playing ground in our sense. Replicants just want to be humans, yep. they, but they don't have souls. And there's some humans throughout this entire series that treat them as if they are human, and some treat them as lesser human. They treat them worse than they would treat a dog. Right. I mean, remember in the police station interlinked where the... Are uh, you seeing cells interlinked? Cells <laughs> okay. interlinked. It's been a while. I've been drinking anyways. <laughs> where a human just pushes Officer K. Like, for no reason. Right. Uh, also, his um, complex that he's living in, 
very low income, high rise mm-hmm. apartments. People are calling him skin job. They're in, throwing insults at him. They're like brushing up against him. Like it's everywhere is unsafe for him. And he has the same blank face the entire time. It's so sad. Ryan Gosling, you want to give him a hug? The whole you just want to give him a hug. <laughs> this boy is right. But as is, obviously, if you're listening to this whole thing, you know that this movie has a lot of things going on. And I wish at the time I watched it, I realized these things. It didn't happen until the second watch where I had the appreciation for the movie. And then the third watch where I was like, I was so dumb back then. That was only three years ago. Time, you know, time can heal. You like, it can change your mind on things. Let it be known that Daniel, the host of Cobwebs, also really great film guy, film mm-hmm. fan, film aficionado, mm-hmm. more than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I don't know if he likes the film. I think he likes it now. Um, but I know I had a very long conversation over the phone with uh, Chris and Daniel about this film. I think it was well over an hour, and I was pleading my case for why this is a great movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I completely got through that night, but I, I know I got through eventually for Chris, um, which is cool. You can totally have any opinion you want. It's just something I was so passionate about. So I was like, here's my case. You know, here it is. It's out there. If you like it, awesome, you know. But if you don't, well, I wish you did, but do, yeah. <laughs> do you ever, like, watch a movie, and you're like, you refuse to, like, like it because it's not what you wanted? That's how I felt because I kept sure. thinking there's some plot holes in here where I caught I kept comparing it to the first movie and I'm like it doesn't do this like the first movie it doesn't do this like the first movie why did they do this I don't get why it couldn't just do this and I'm just like watching it rewatching it again and then you know twice and I'm like it doesn't matter it didn't do these things that I wanted it to do sure. because it still accomplishes what a sequel should do is it expands the universe it introduces new refreshing themes and characters while also paying respect to the original. Mm-hmm. It does all of those things. It, I mean, it, it takes a- time to, I, I feel like I, I don't love the movie. I like it so much though. Like I'm on the crisp of loving it. You know what I mean? Like it's a four, four and a half star. You sure. know what I mean for me right now? It used to be at a three or three and a half. I mean, I think a four and a half does mean love, right? <laughs> Maybe a four. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I guess. And when it comes to ratings, uh, right. star ratings, who fucking cares? <laughs> but, um, but like, I, I couldn't put it in like, I, I, I couldn't say it's like a top 10 all-timer ever. For right, me. right. But when I think when it comes to top 10 sci-fi movies, it might be a top five for sure now. Sure. It would pro- I would say at the time of after watching, it's not a top 10. Do you like it more than the original? See, that's what I tackle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would understand if you do. I mean, they're different. See, the more I, I'm conflicted because when you watch these movies, the, okay, so they're, they're dystopian sci-fi movies. And that again, that's why you and I get we gel so well when it comes to watching movies together. Is we both love that genre so much. Right. I mean, as a kid, I just love space and monsters and aliens. I love dirty space. See, to me, I love the original Star Wars because they're kind of dirty. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Blade Runner. I love like anime inspired by that. Right. Uh, Firefly. Oh, very see. very great limited <laughs> short series in Serenity. The film coupled with it. I mean, I love dirty sci-fi. I do like Star Trek. I wouldn't say I'm a Star Trek fan. No, I, I think it's too clean. I know I know the approach is very much about um, uh, politics, and it's very positive, and mm-hmm. it wants to create this equality um, among species. And there's a lot that Star Trek says, but I never felt like I wanted to live in that world because it's so, <laughs> which is stupid because it's a much better world to right. live in. To me, but sci- it's so clean. Sci-fi <laughs> has always been, I think, about questioning the, the most uncomfortable things by right. putting in a setting that it's not natural. I want to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> right. And I feel like, I mean, Alien, Terminator, like right. the sci-fi movies that are scary and dark and, and brooding, I love so much. But I, the more I think about Blade Runner, which I've seen two or three times now, 
And now watching the third time Blade Runner 2049, I liked almost 2049 a little bit more because it is pure bonafide sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And it's so apathetic, but also comforting in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, there's a scene in this movie where Agent K, or I keep I can't get out of Men in Black. For I mean, reason. it's Officer K, I Officer, believe. You yeah. call him K. But K, <laughs> so the scene where K has just dissected that his life doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. Jeez, no big deal, right? Even though it's he, a th- sad he just really thought he was about to be the fucking key to this puzzle to save the universe. And he decides, and he realizes he's not. So he's walking by himself, kicking a can in his controller that had. Um, Anna Dermas's character, who's the only character throughout that Seth points out, the only character that truly cared about him. Maybe I mean we don't know if she truly did, but it felt like she. It, did. it really it did. Like it did. really did feel because even like when he was about to like die when he got shot down at a planet. So spoilers, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, she like kicks and like tries to wake him up. I, I don't and, know. Well, what she, AI, her last words are "I love you." Yeah. Like yeah. I don't think an AI would do that. But either way, um, he's walking back and he sees a big holographic image of Anna Dermas's character Joy, in a very um, sexual, debaucherous, yeah. sexual, preying on lonely men kind of way. And is like luring him to keep her, like to buy her product, basically. Mm-hmm. And he just looks up at it all sad and says, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to save the universe in some well, way. Well, he kind of realizes this one thing that made me feel complete might have been a lie. Just like the thing that him being the key to this this universe was also a lie. So everything up to this point has been a lie. He has nothing. What about that owl? Less than real? nothing. <laughs> Synthetic, right? <laughs> Must be expensive, very. <laughs> right? Maybe that could be K's like owl for for Decker. You know, it was like this AI. Maybe it was the owl, the synthetic owl for him. I mean, the the owl was a. I mean, it was a talking point for. I, th- I think the dog's the owl, <laughs> but it's a talking point to That's connect true. these two characters. Right. Um, Here's one interesting point I want to bring out to you, Seth. Before we even talk about more just dystopian sci-fi, which I love to talk about more. With Blade Runner 2049, what I found interesting in comparison to Blade Runner is the stark just the stark difference of the leads. So uh-huh. Blade Runner in 82, Harrison Ford, the predominant what a male should Takes be Takes place at the in time. 2019, though. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which none of the boys I know were in 2019 were like... <laughs> this should have been. You're right. <laughs> but I'm like, this strong, gritty man. This math... Like, this huge masculine character, Decker. Doesn't give a shit about anything. Hard nose. Doesn't care about just getting the job done. He doesn't even want to be a Blade Runner. He right. says, no, I'm not returning for this job. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's pushed to return into the job, but he doesn't want to do it. Right. He's done. He is drink. He's at the bottom of the bottle. Exactly. But then you get, in 2017, your protagonist being a more in tune emotionally Ryan Gosling who's looking for a purpose in a not-so-masculine way. Is it interesting that these are our protagonists? You, you could say that... Deckard at the beginning of the film is similar to K towards the the end of 2049. Oh yeah, when he's kind of cross paths. Yeah, when he looks at Roy, you do feel like that could be Ryan Gosling looking at Roy. Well, right, because I mean, I feel like Deckard finds a purpose at the end of Blade Runner that he never had because his purpose is Rachel. His purpose is to get the hell out of here and finally make something of himself. K comes to a point, comes to a crossroads where, because in the beginning he is, he doesn't, he, he he wants to feel something, he wants to be something, whereas Deckard doesn't care at right. all, and he, he even in this movie Deckard doesn't care as much. I mean, because he he's had to give up everything. He right. wanted, he he had a really good, I believe three years. Yeah, a really good three years. Uh, after that, everything went to shit. <laughs> but he had a really good three years. <laughs> um, 
Because as in the first film, the replicants have a limited lifespan of four years, yep. which is the central plot of Roy wanting to survive past his expiration date. True. Um, I won't get into that, but so I, w- I would say these characters definitely come to a crossroads at the midpoint of these films or towards the end of these films. Um, but Kay does have a very heavy, but happy, sad ending, I would say. I, I, I don't feel like when he's th- dying and you hear the Tears in the Rain score playing, right, right. I feel like that is Denny saying, hey, this is how enlightened Kay feels the same way Deckard felt uh-huh. when listening to that Roy monologue. I mean, Deckard felt enlightened because he finally felt sympathy for he these felt peace, He felt peace and he felt sadness. And I think that's how Kay feels at the end of the movie is he's at peace for what he's done to help. But I also feel like he's sad that he can't continue on with it. Right. I mean, I think what's interesting is Roy saved Deckard's life at the mm-hmm. end of the first film. He, he spared him. He enlightened him he, with, his, with his peace as he died. Um, I think Kay also saved Deckard again. He gave him a new meaning for life. I don't know if I could spoil it. I mean, he basically gave him a new lease on life, revealing something that sure. he really needs. Because sure. Deckard was a sad, angry man, just like the beginning of the first film. Mm-hmm. And he finally finds his peace again. So I think replicants in this franchise show their humanity by telling humans there's another reason to, to move on, mm-hmm. to, to, to keep living. Right, where a human would be like, fuck it, I'm just gonna... Humans are more out for themselves, right. and these replicants are like trying to do something Right, exactly. <laughs> I wish we were replicants cells replicants, interlinked. Replicants are more human than human cells interlinked. <laughs> mm. Oh, God. Um, but I just... The one thing I did want to point out by bringing that comparison, not only from a story standpoint, but just like a, where we're at in time in sci-fi... Ryan Gosling's type of character for a protagonist is looked upon as a protagonist leading man in this kind of universe mm-hmm. versus back then what kind of leading man you would need. It shows you don't have to be like a gritty Harrison Ford type. You got to be handsome. <laughs> you, you, you do have to be freaking you gotta be handsome. handsome. I kept thinking of it. like, how come everyone looks better looking than me in this movie? Because you got to be handsome. <laughs> They're also rep- even Batista looks better. Than I mean, me. replicants. I mean, you might as well make them handsome, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but man, this movie is really great, and I, I love how deep this movie kind of really is. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is deep when you dissect everything about it. And there's, there's so many plot threads that I know some people would say are not resolved, which I would say isn't necessarily the truth. Like, there's there's an uprising that isn't resolved, but I think that uprising is a purpose for Kay to feel like he has to do something, and through that doing something, he betrays that purpose. Mm-hmm. To give another character a new lease on life. Because he cares more about, I mean, I will say Deckard finding peace and happiness than you would about these people that want to feel something too. And I think it's because he feels like he's, he's connected like Kay. Right. He's, <laughs> or Deckard, excuse me. Kay isn't an angry person. All these other replicants are very angry because they're oppressed. I right. think Kay is the opposite of angry. He's mm-hmm. just someone that wants to feel something. And if he can give Deckard a new lease on life, then he's willing to do that. Right. I think it's because he feels like um, like he's related to Deckard in a mm-hmm. way. Because of the experience. He does think he is. <laughs> he really does think he is. And I think that kind of helps in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this movie is really great. And I think people need to really give it a second chance or should just watch it. If they were like, I love Blade Runner. I don't want to ruin Blade Runner for myself. I... If you feel like this movie ruins Blade Runner for you, I feel like you don't like Blade Runner as much, maybe. I mean, if you do hate it and you love the first one, I would say give it another chance. They mm-hmm. are very different movies, but I think the themes are really carried on in 2049 in a good way. I mean, they're very much atmospheric in different ways. Oh, yeah. Um, Ridley and Denny have different visions, 
but I just love how they intersect, like we've mentioned earlier. Um, they're directors I love immensely, immensely. It's interesting that Denny's car- like sci-fi with Arrival and then this, and who knows what Dune. I feel like he's it's more... Be so good. I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm I'm just going to be good. I, gonna... I think the castings are perfect. I love Timothy. I love him. <laughs> I love Rebecca re- Ferguson. I love, I love everyone involved. <laughs> it looks amazing. That trailer's a freaking phenomenal. It's, oh, man. Uh, but I think like Denny's approach to sci-fi is the sad sacrificial for the betterment of the future. He's not a, a very theme. happy director. No, he's <laughs> not, not a very happy director. He's His films are very melancholy. Right, like Arrival at the end. I'm going to spoil Arrival because you should have seen it maybe by now. I mean, nah, we it's, won't. Re- it's really melancholy. I'm gonna... We won't spoil it, but basically we find out that somebody has to sacrifice something for the betterment of everything else. We'll just say that. Which is kind of, I mean, it's similar to 2049. It, yeah, Blade Runner's like this. Yeah, but what I've noticed with Ridley Scott is he's always trying to answer the question to life. He's always trying to question what's our purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And when he asked that in um, Blade Runner, what makes us human? You know, in Martian, like he's asking, like, how do humans cope with being alone? Mm-hmm. And Exodus, Gods of Kings, he's asking, in a poor, really bad way, he's kind of asking, like... It was palpable. I didn't hate watching it. I'm just never going to watch it ever again. Right, right, right. He's asking, how could humans back then be so devoted to some unknown, you know? And then, even better, in Alien Covenant Prometheus, he's asking, essentially, humans, like, where did we come from? Mm -hmm. And, like, where are we going you know? And in the counselor, he asks. <laughs> I haven't seen the counselor. And then in all the say. money in the world, he's asking, "How does money fit into us?" That's functioning? a good movie. Yeah, it's good. It's did, a really fun time. Did you like? Song. Did you like Covenant? I love Covenant now. I I liked it in theaters a lot, and then I started analyzing it, and I liked it less. But I really want to watch it again. You should. Really I liked watch- it a lot less. So to I me, about Prometheus it. and Alien Covenant, it's like I like Prometheus. Yeah, it's like it's like Ridley Scott asking these questions, and they're really right. profound. Um, but to me, if you focus on David the entire time, David's great. I have no problem. It's with David. so interesting with David's character. Don't let the bed bugs bite. That's right. <laughs> the, the trick, Mister Potter, is not minding that it hurts. Anyway, I love those two movies now. Um, I think I like Blade Runner twenty four nine just a little bit more because Ryan Gosling. I love. I do. Ro- I love Ryan Gosling, but right. too. I like. I love the. I love movies. That's why I love dystopian sci-fi. I love the. The questions that are asked at the time. They're very deep and maybe sometimes uncomfortable and you want to watch it by yourself so you can like think about those things. But at the same time, it's a gorgeous movie. Right. And I love the properties that it, it, I love Blade Runner, you know, too. So it's like I don't mind watching it. So Alien I love just because I love the alien and I love the Ridley Scottness of being it, you know. Um, but yeah, this movie's really good and I really recommend people should check it out. Um Man, do you have anything else to say other than how Blade Runner is so influential that it had a sequel and then influenced some of our favorite anime? It's a perfect movie. Um, <laughs> I did have a random thought. Uh-huh. What do you th- do? You think there's a Rachel in 2049? Like the dynamic of this character that pushes the protagonist to kind of be what they are? Because I would say Joy might be the Rachel, but I don't think she's the Rachel. I think Rachel is a fantastic character in the original film that doesn't necessarily want to be with Deckard 
at, at all until she does. I mean, 2049 touches on that, that there, there is like a faded union, yeah. potentially. That's but you're... it's a very gritty relationship that is kind of dirty. You don't, you're not really sure if you like it or not until the end where, I mean, there's the scene where she's lets down her hair. She's playing the piano. She's, she's a little happy. She's never happy until she's finally like kind of free with Deckard and they run away together. Um, I don't know. Do you feel like there's that, that character in 2049? Because I really love Rachel as a character. I love Rachel the first movie because she's like such a yin to yang to Harrison Ford's character. She's very structured. She's very sophisticated. Uh-huh. And Deckard is just, just... And she loves to toy with him. She loves to toy with him. And he knows that. Because the very first meeting, they're flirting. Yeah. They're just flirting. Right. And even the replicate points out that you know she's trying to fluster him. Right. Not frustrate, but fluster, which means she's, she's flirting with him. In this one... I don't feel there's a Rachel character, and I feel like Denny does that on a purpose because he's like, that's what makes Decker and Rachel so special, is there's no sort of relationship like that again. Deckard found happiness. Kay didn't find... Because, I mean, Deckard looks down on replicants in the beginning, and I think... I mean, there's there's a, the controversial scene where he kind of throws himself on her because mm-hmm. I think he really does like her, potentially love her, but at the same time, he's not sure if she's beneath him or if she's if she's equal to him. I've always, By the end of it, she's equal to him. I've always felt Decker was afraid to question who he is. You know what I mean? He's not like, sure if he wanted to love her. Right. The co- I feel like the cause is bigger than himself, and he just doesn't want to be a part of it. Because even right. though he made a pact with these replicants to help him with this special bond, um, he doesn't feel... I don't feel like he's... I don't know. Ugh, I want to say he seems a little suspect. You know? Like, he'll drop his... He'll drop allegiance and a drop of a hat for his for himself. I don't know if that's just Harrison Ford, but I feel like that's how Deckard would be. Because I, right, uh, I never see Deckard as a hero. I never see Deckard. Yeah, I don't feel like Deckard's some sort of savior at all. And I don't think the movie tries to do oh, that. Oh, Deckard doesn't give a shit. Right, right. But I think I think the closest thing, like you say, Joy to Rachel. But I think Joy stands for something of another question of like, so we question whether replicants are human or not. What about AI, if we take it another step forward? Where does AI play into this? It can't just be this repressed ones and zeros. I mean, it's. I mean, like I kind of said earlier, you don't really have a, a solid answer. I think replicants absolutely should, should have equality. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really do care about them. Joy, by the end of the film, there's this repetition of her naming Kay Joe. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, this means something. She wants him to have a name. She cares about him. She wants him to have a purpose. And then when he's down in the dumps, you know, like you said, kicking the can, hates his existence, he sees this hologram of another Joy that, as an advertisement, she's naked, she's alluring to him, mm-hmm. and she calls him Joe, which means she's just a carbon copy of the Joy he had previously known. So it does she matter? Maybe not. She made him feel like 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 he mattered, which Rachel kind of uh, made Deckard feel like he matters. But at the end of it was. Rachel and Deckard were successful, where Kay and Joy were not successful. Because, <laughs> I mean, it, it, right. does she matter? She's ones and zeros. Dude, is she, a, is she the owl? Is she real? She's synthetic. <laughs> well, as, as she said, uh, there's a scene with, with uh, Kay investigating, and they say he is four lines of code mm-hmm. as a replicant, and she says she's only two lines of code. So are those two lines, is that the barrier of having like a empathy or a soul? Is ones and zeros or everything else, does it matter? I don't know. That's for you to decide. <laughs> Dude, this is 29 years from now. We need to figure this shit out. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Do you think... Okay, real question though. Did you... 
Did you watch Cowboy Bebop and like Ghost in the Shell before Blade Runner, or did you discover them after? Because um, like to me, when I think Blade Runner, I think about those two things because they're so similar. And I don't know if that's by, I don't think that's by mistake at all. I think that's a good question. I think I watched Bebop. I watched that in college, and I really loved it. Mm-hmm. I watched Ghost in the Shell, the film around the same time, and I watched Standalone Complex. A bit further, like, probably a couple years after that. And I really love all those properties. Not as much as Blade Runner. But, um, yeah, I would say Blade Runner really pioneered my love for the genre. Yeah, I'm the same because I watched Blade Runner first. And then I watched, excuse me. And Well, I don't know because I saw Bebop a few times on Adult Swim growing up. Sure. But I never like stuck them to memory as much other than like I knew who Spike Spiegel was, you know. The coolest guy in the world. Exactly. The <laughs> exactly. But like, I never like was like, oh, I know exactly what Cowboy Bebop is. You know, right. I watch one or two episodes. It's very episodic, anyways. Right. So like, I watched a few, and I was like, okay, Spike is super cool. You know, he's, he's Bruce Lee. That's it. <laughs> he's, that's he's like it. Bruce and Lee. that's it. But then yeah. it's like, I watch Blade Runner. I love Blade Runner. And then um, I watch Ghost in the Shell with Daniel on a double feature night where we watched that and Princess Mononoke. And I still think Ghost in the Shell is my favorite anime, and I think it's because. It's like you meant Blade to say Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Sorry. You, uh, well, that's, that's, that. a, that's a show, not a I'm, movie. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But like, I'm like Ghost in the Shell. I'm like divine intervention. It's fantastic. I think Akira if, in the same vein. Yeah, Akira I don't love as much because I feel like the message is a little skewed in the third act in a way. A little bit. It, it goes to crazy right, lengths right. for sure. But I think Ghost in the Shell is more refined, and I just, I mean, I just love. I just, it's dystopian heaven. It's you know, like right. Major is like one of the best female protagonists ever, and she's not even human. You know what I mean? Uh, well, she she is is kind. Of, I mean, kind of human. She's modified human, right? Um, um, but I love the questions it asks. You know, with the ghost in the shell, the brain and the mm-hmm. symbiotic human body. But either way, but it's like, but that all comes from the love of Blade Runner. And right. That's why I love Blade Runner. Is would, because would it exist without Blade Runner? Exactly. And then know. when I got into college, at you know, with Daniel, and I watched Cowboy Bebop, and I'm like. I love Bebop so much, but it's not because of the sci-fi-ness, but it's because of the world building that Blade Runner gave. I mean, would any of these exist without Philip K. Dick? Because he did so many sci-fi properties. Oh. I mean, he is... Goddamn. He's just a genius, he's honestly. He's fucking that mind. I mean, that's the author of the novel. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, do you really think that androids would dream of electric sheep? I think they would. I think they would dream of normal sheep. <laughs> dude, but that's the thing about... That's why I love this podcast with Inside the Sequel when we talk about sequel movies... Sometimes sequels could give uh, original work a run for its money. Right. I think Blade Runner 2049 would give Blade Runner a run for its money. And I don't know if I can say on any given day which one I love more. Because it could change at any second. Sure. I mean, I think they're both fantastic. Right. I like one more than the other, but they're both fantastic. Right. And it's like, I mean, I mean, how many times do people talk about sequels and they're like, oh, the, the you know, the, this one surpasses the original. You don't say that very rarely. Blade Runner 249 should be in that conversation with the Scream 2s and in the... So good. I the, love Scream. Yeah. And <laughs> the Empire Strikes Backs of the world. You know, and I'm going to throw it in there. Last Jedi. The last Let's Je- do yeah, it. The Last Jedi you could throw in there. Exactly. 100%. I, we were talking about how... Um, you want a film to be a certain way, and it's mm-hmm. not. I will say Last Jedi is like that. You want it to be a certain way, it's not. Exactly. At all. I think a sequel surpass, not surpass, but I think it elevates itself to the same level as the original when it's different. It is. It's very different. And yeah. I think Wes Craven kind of answered that with um, Scream 2. It's mm-hmm. so on the nose of how sequels are. It does what a sequel is different. I mean, those are meta films, which right. I love meta right. horror Right, and that's why I genre. love Scream 2. Scream 3 is, I mean, that's a trilogy 
is like very all. rare where that trilogy right. is pretty even the fourth movie I like all of them yeah I like, like they're them. pretty strong but like with Scream 2 I love the red herring this mm-hmm. is that's such a theme in this episode is like Scream 2 is red herring so many tropes of sequels that Wes Craven pulls something out of this hat that's different than what you see it as right and I feel like that's how you do a sequel if you do something a little different but still somewhat related to the original, it's going to work. And it's not going to be loved at first. I don't know if so many no. people who love Scream 2 as much as the original. I do. I, I mean, I love it. But I, I love I, that I, series, I don't know if I love though. it more than the original, but I really love it. Right. Uh, but, I mean, I mean, yeah, like you said, Last Jedi. I mean, when I kill you, I've I killed mean, the Last Jedi. I've killed the Last Jedi. You know? And yeah. Luke, I think Luke is fantastic. I love the criticism of the Jedi Order. I think the Jedi Order mm-hmm. is an abomination. I think the prequels show that the Jedi Order is a corrupt <laughs> government agency. I'm just going to... I'm gonna, I'm not even going to talk about it more because that's right. for a different episode. I mean, but... dude, think about the potential of this podcast with all these talks right now. But my biggest one is, what about Two Towers with Fellowship of the Ring? God damn. I mean, we, we just... We love... <laughs> Lord of the Rings are all great films. So right, we don't, right, that's right, why. right. But I'm just like, ah, oh, man, that's how you do a sequel. It was like Blade Runner 2049. I finally have seen the light and like it's not what I had wanted and that is fine because what it presents I love mm-hmm. and that's what it, it, it's a pondering question it, it, it relates to everyone if you're a human you're gonna watch this movie and think about these things in some sort of different capacity I hope you do right, it, right. Like, that's the goal and I think it's great I think empathy is a very important thing to dissect in cinema or even media like like we mentioned like the last of us or this film Dude, sequels course. are getting hate these days now. they're getting so much hate because i think people drive nostalgia into the ground because they want something to be the same like we said i don't i don't want a sequel that's the same i really don't i want a sequel mm-hmm. that challenges the first one i want to see something new um, and nostalgia is, is a very dangerous thing because we want we want our childhoods to, to, to be alive again. And right. there's nothing nothing is gonna be our childhoods because that's like rose tinted glasses, mm-hmm. you know, perfect childhood. I think and, that's interesting with Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Decker doesn't show up to more than halfway through the movie. Decker's not in the movie that much. No. And, and I we, think we know his presence is felt though. Yes. It's very, him and Rachel, you feel the presence. And I can't help but feel that's why Denny put him in the movie. Not because of the nostalgia of like Harrison Ford's gonna sell this movie more because mm-hmm. the original people love Blade Runner. Well, he's on the poster with Ryan Gosling. Right. You he's, think he's a main character. But he's like in it for less than half the movie. I mean, screen time wise, he's probably in it for twenty minutes. Right. And he's not doing minutes. that much. I mean, he's he's almost a, a damsel in distress. Exactly. Almost, which is, I mean, he's an old man. I love him, but if you really think about it, Roy could have killed him very easily in the first film. Well, it, I mean, Kay could easily kill him. Um, Luff, which is the bodyguard, could easily Wallace kill him. Wallace could have killed him. Wallace could have killed him. Like, he's he's a very badass, gruff man, but he's also an old man, and mm-hmm. you have to remember that. Um, and I love Deckard as a character, but in this situation, he is not the protagonist. Nope. He is not. It's like, man, if people watched Blade Runner 2049 and liked it, then they should just play Last of Us 2 and they'll love it. I, I don't. I mean, I love Last of Us 2, but man, I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this episode. I said I like The Last Jedi and Last of Us 2. Dude, but, uh, those are sequels we all like, though. I think all those sequels. I mean, maybe not The Last Jedi, but they involve empathy. I mm-hmm. think empathy. I think people are are not willing to challenge themselves. To understand different points of view, mm-hmm. especially The Last of Us 2. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think I love challenging myself as far as like, should I feel this for someone? I think right. Roy is one of the best characters of all time mm-hmm. to, to, to realize empathy. Because mm-hmm. he kills people. He kills his father, Tyrell. Yep. He gouges him in the eyes. Yep. I mean, it's a very violent massacre. But you really understand him. and you you I, I mean, I cry for him at mm-hmm. the end of the movie. I, I love him. 
Because he can't he, fight this thing. It's he inevitable. He just doesn't want to die. He's only four years old. He is mm-hmm. a kid, mm-hmm. and he is scared to die. And that's why he's like he wants to live. And you 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 feel so sad for him. You mm-hmm. understand him. And yeah. he he loves. I mean, he he loves. And he he understands everyone. He doesn't even want to kill Deckard, and Deckard's sole purpose is to kill him. He doesn't even want to kill him. Right, and he probably has experienced more human things than most humans in that world did. Yes. And that's what he talks about that's in his monologue. monologue. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I mean, sci- this is why I love the genre to death. That's why Alien's my favorite movie. It's it's a different type of sci-fi, but the it's still there where it's the future is scary, and like seeing how in different interpretations of where we're leading towards could possibly happen is interesting to me um so that's why i love sci-fi it with blade runner i think i like 2049 maybe just a little bit more because it's true sci-fi in terms of like it's world building sure. it's questioning what the original is more of a noir i it, mean i will say it's a sci-fi film absolutely yeah. it pioneered a lot but it, it's, it's a it's a neo and that's my problem with i'm not crazy about noir films as much yet i think i need to get a little bit older neo noir like, my man neo noir <laughs> is where it's at you can say cowboy bebop's in the yeah cowboy bebop this blade of 49 you watch some of those uh pure uh, Melville films those are neo noir right. films where they feel like old school noirs but they have a twist to it i like that um, I, I, it's a hard. It's hard for me as a less super cool noir protagonist, I guess, to relate to those hard gritten, you know, Robert Meacham noir film out of the past types. And I need to educate myself more on traditional noir. Right. I always wanted to. I don't I really feel have. like I can identify as much as those kind of characters, but I can identify myself as someone who's pondering what my life's meaning is like as sure. someone who's like a Ryan Gosling type character. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's why, I, I mean, this movie, I think, accomplishes what a sci-fi is trying to be like, is answering so many questions. And if it doesn't have an answer, that's for you to decide, because you're going to have to live it at some point, maybe, in your life. I think if sci-fi doesn't challenge your beliefs, maybe not like existential, religious, but if it doesn't challenge what it means to be a human, or an android, or, mm-hmm. or anything, I don't think it's really true sci-fi. I think sci-fi is a genre that is meant to have you questioned something. Yeah. I think if it's just, you know, like, I mean, I'm totally down with like monster slain and aliens <laughs> in outer space, but I, I think true sci-fi really should challenge you. Um, I was, I was thinking of starship troopers for some reason. That I've is never a film. Seen that. You haven't seen it? No. Oh, it's really good. Okay. <laughs> it's a film that on the service is about a bunch of really attractive meatheads and, and you know, like beautiful people, um, destroying aliens on the surface. But under under the surface, it is a political commentary. It's a farce. It is yep. challenging politics, and um, it's just. It, I mean, it's it's deeper than you expect. So like sci-fi is just. I think there should be commentary there. Right. Honestly. I think in today's society, we make we make films about past events that criticize current events. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So like movies that had. So, I love. Old screwball comedies. You watch His Girl Friday. When you watch, you know, like a lot of Billy Wilder movies at the time, they kind of criticize what the what was happening at the time, and they can be related till today to today as well. They stand the test of time, right? You know, so like um, I'm trying to think, uh, Spotlight. You know, like it's it's called it's an older movie. movie. Yeah, great. It's an old movie that talks about current. Po- to- po- probably topical things. I like those things. But I, mean, I really movies. don't think 
They, yeah. I really don't think they have the freedom that like a sci-fi film has to do those things. Like you think Godzilla and Fifty Four is a sci-fi movie? I still think it's a sci-fi movie. It's a monster movie, but it's, it's a monster movie. movie. It's sci-fi. Yeah, it's a Cold War movie that's that's trying to answer and question really hard time questions at the time because less than ten years later, earlier, right. what was going on is related to the horrors, and then you get other Godzilla movies. And I hate to talk about Godzilla on this podcast, which I no, I don't. I love talking about Godzilla on this Did podcast. Did you have like seven figures? <laughs> right, <stuff>. but it's <laughs> like. But it's like, come on, man. It's like these things, like Godzilla vs. Hedorah is talking about pollution at the time in ni- in like the 1960s. And it's like, that's a big deal at that time. I don't think a normal movie can make a movie about pollution. I'm going to quote a Mad Men episode right now. Uh-huh. So in, in, a, in a great series, John Hamm is mm-hmm. a freaking rock star. A um, movie, a, a show about the past. About the past. Topical things. So there's there's a short scene. There's it, it, They don't make a big deal out of it, nothing. There's a short scene where this the family is at a park and they're having a picnic. They're done with the picnic. He takes the blanket and just like shakes everything off, throws his bottles in the yard. Like it's a public park. He takes all his wrappers, throws them in the grass. Like his kids are throwing all the trash on the yard and they leave. <laughs> but they don't think anything of it because like, like you said, there's... At that time, no one cared about the environment. Mm-hmm. It's the 60s. Everyone's smoking inside mm-hmm. and everyone's throwing trash in, in the yards and in public property. But when we see it in you know 2020 or 2015, whenever, mm-hmm. whenever you're watching it, you're disgusted by that. You're exactly. like, that is terrible. But but they don't they don't know anything better, really. Right. I think it's kind of weird that movies go back in older times to answer questions that are relevant today. Because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, why don't we just blame those things at the time? But in sci-fi movies, you can look at the future and then blame ourselves. It's timeless. Exactly. Because ti- obviously the first one takes place in 2019, which is now the past. Mm-hmm. But that is an alternate reality where this is this is the future. It's like Star Wars. Exactly. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Right. It's an alternate reality that parallels our reality exactly and that's why sci-fi is the best genre it is the best genre yes. okay? to me the best genre the big three it's always going to be it's it has to be sci-fi then it has to be horror and then after that it has to be fantasy and that's coming of age <laughs> and then coming of age i love coming of age dude films. lord of the rings is a coming of age movie in fellowship because frodo gets a call to come to, to grow up I, I i will stand by the fact that i think fellowship is the best lord of the rings film Zing. elijah wood agrees elijah wood agrees okay Dang. it is a very complete film as it's far like as he was goes. barely in the two towers to even watch them yeah Elijah's pissed he's like <laughs> fellowship's the best film he's like I wasn't even two towers that much so I don't like the movie okay but they're all I mean I, love I mean them yeah all. they are perfect movies um, uh, but yeah. yes uh, Seth it was so fun to talk to you about the meaning of life why Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> after three years of its release still needs to be watched and appreciated I was one of those stupid sheep that was like this movie fucking sucks but at the time to be fair it was 2017 True. Lady Bird and Get Out got out was also fantastic films also fantastic I mean that was a good year for cinema 2017 I've said it on record before 2017 is the best year in film in maybe the last 20 years and 2020 is one of the shittiest years for film that's so true no 2018 was the worst year for film okay 2018 was pretty hollow. Green okay. Book one. I mean, twenty twenty. I mean, I'm not. Gonna, I think Tenet's a seven out of ten. But I really freaking enjoyed I watching it. I do love Tenet. You That's know, true. I I could say it's an eight out of ten by rewatching it and having fun. I think it's one of the only Nolan films that I think Nolan's having fun. Right. Hey, speaking of sequels, Tenet might be getting a sequel. I did not hear that. Really. John David Washington said he wants a sequel bad. 
I don't know if that film warrants a sequel. I, I just want more John David Washington. <laughs> I love John David Washington, but you know what? Robert Pattinson is a rock star in the movie, oh, too. Oh, dude. He might as well just get the Best Supporting Actor Award right I, now. I mean, there's only like seven films right, out. Right? So. Dude, what's your favorite movie of 2020? I remember you telling me it was an anime. Anime. Wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Weathering With You. Oh, no, that's... Technically 2019, right? Oh, was it 2019? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have the Steelbook Blu-ray uh-huh. release right now. Oh, we saw it in 2020, though. Right, right. It's a 2019 um, domestic release for Japan. If you consider it 2020, yeah, I would still say that's my favorite film. Mm. Hands down, Weathering With You, I think is a masterpiece. I know some people definitely disagree <laughs> Dang, with me that's on like that. my Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It was like right. the best movie I've seen in 2020, but I think it was technically released in 2019. Right. It was also the last movie we saw in theaters, Rip. Yeah. Oh I wait, mean, no, not Tenet. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of foreign films, you, you the domestic releases don't coincide with the American releases. So it's it's a great area, big for true. sure. Big and, true. and the Oscars don't like foreign films, so <laughs> let's just talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Seth. Thank Besides you Parasite. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Parasite was amazing. <laughs> Parasite's amazing. Uh, but Seth, thank you so much for being on here to just nerd out with me on Blade Runner and <sighs> sci-fi in general. I could do it all day, yes, son. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This boy has a Blade Runner poster. Oh. A Army of Darkness, so you know he's a true Evil Dead fan. Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Okay, underrated film. But even bigger, he's got the big three of the last ten years. He's got Baby Driver, <laughs> La La Land, that- and Me and Earl and the Baby and the Dying Girl. It's, it's his favorite movie. That's an possible. underrated top three. That's maybe. right. That's right. I'm like, dang, dude. And a Last of Us poster. Don't forget. Uh, Mondo <laughs> limited uh, print. So. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I have a boring taxi driver poster. You got good posters. No, it's all good. One of these days, I'll show it off in a video. But anyway, Seth, thank you so much for being on this podcast and talking sequels with me. I hope we can talk about more sci-fi or maybe just sequels in general next time. One more cells interlinked for. Uh, <laughs> So, dude, already for finished. our baseline, <laughs> my baseline's way off because I finished. My baseline this is way bite. off right mm-hmm. now. You take a take a shot of mine, mm. dude. Mm. This whiskey sour sour. Oh, that's sour. All right. Mm. Mm. I have to pee. Ooh. That's sour. <laughs> uh, anyway, if you enjoyed this episode, I really recommend you follow us on Twitter at Sequel Podcast or inside the Sequel Podcast. You should email the show at uh, sequelpod at gmail.com. You can always follow me at hertastic.reviews at gmail.com. That's the YouTube channel, and you can check that out anytime. Um, But anyway, other than that, my name is Chris here. I'm the host of Inside the Sequel Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I was here with Seth. Seth, say goodbye to everyone, because I know they loved you. Goodbye. (laughs) There we go. Anyway, like I said before in many other episodes, if you're not watching dystopian sci-fi, do you really care about sequels? I'll let you answer that. Anyway, we'll see you next time. (laughs)